And Saul's word meant nothing to David. And that's why he would say in despair, you know, now I know that someday I will perish by the hand of Saul. And again, um, Saul here being, you know, was very uh, sincere. But uh, David was, um, was not fooled by that. And Saul, could just, he could not overcome his jealousy and hatred. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The sad story of 1 Samuel 27 begins with something David said in his heart. He may have never said it out loud. He may have never said it to anyone else. He may have never said it to God. But David said it in his heart. What we say in our heart has a tremendous power to shape our thinking, our actions, and even our whole destiny. This is what David said in his heart. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. That was a word of discouragement coming from a heart tired of trusting God for his continued deliverance. In his discouragement, David forgot God's past deliverance. Our hearts must never be tired of trusting God. Now here's Pastor Rob. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. If you recall last time we were together, we looked at chapter 26 which was really the second time that David spared Saul's life. The first time was in chapter 24. And remember, David had opportunities to, um, to kill Saul. And I find it interesting that during this whole time of, of these opportunities that David had, he really demonstrated the fact that he was really a great man. Because any man who has an enemy who's right before him and is... Uh, unguarded, and um, is able to be taken, um, many people would take that opportunity. But David uh, demonstrated his heart, his character, by not only not taking Saul's life, but just respecting the office of the, of the, of the kingdom, of the throne of the king of Israel. And so David here is showing his quality. And we looked last week at the second time as uh, David, um, remember, resorting to the wilderness of Ziph, which is right there on the western side of the Dead Sea in the wilderness. And uh, he found out that Saul and 3,000 men had, uh, came, had come after him and was encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, which I know all of you know where those locations are by heart. Uh, So David, being in the wilderness, and Saul being in this other camp uh, at night, David and uh, one of his nephews uh, did something really courageous, actually kind of silly, actually. 
uh, could have cost them both their life, but they went over into the camp while everyone was sleeping. And if you remember, uh, while everyone, Saul was in the center of the camp and the army was surrounded him, which is kind of the formation that they would do when they would sleep at night, but they were all asleep, including Abner, who was the commander of, of the army, who was uh, very close to Saul and should have been awake, or at least had several men keeping watch throughout the night, but they were all asleep, and David and his young uh, nephew were able to go over and not only take Saul's spear, which was in the ground next to his head as he slept, but also took the cruise of water uh, with him. And they went back, and they, they crossed a ravine, and they went up into a, a place, and they yelled out. And you recall that Abner, who was the one who should have been protecting the king, he wakens... And uh, David really gets on his case, because David, being a shepherd, being a protector, um, this was, and knowing the office of Abner, because remember, David was in that place. David was the commander of Saul's armies until he was banished and exiled. And so now he's really holding it to Abner, saying, Abner, you should have died. You should, as the Lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed and, um, and then finally, Saul speaks up, and once Saul realizes, after the, the spear and the cruise of water are demonstrated across the, <laughs> across the ravine, quite a, quite a distance away, Saul brings on his crocodile tears, which he's done this many times, and it's one of his more lucid moments where he really, I believe he was genuine. I mean, only God knows the genuineness of a man's heart, but I believe Saul was genuine, although I think because he was plagued by uh, demonic spirits, having uh, turned away from the Lord and the Lord sending an evil spirit to torment him, which is kind of disturbing if you think of it, um, but God um, knew what he had to do. And there's really no recourse for anyone who turns away from God other than the the enemy on the opposite side, <laughs> and I don't. Is anybody um, is anybody aware that there is a, a battle between good and evil today? I don't. Know, I don't. Know, I don't. Know, I don't know if it's really obvious to anyone. I mean, the news and all that stuff. I mean, maybe it's just a big. Maybe it's all fake news. Maybe it is just a utopia, and we're just seeing. No, it's there is a battle between good and evil, isn't there? There is a battle, and so Saul. In one of his more lucid moments, he calls out and he says to David in his crocodile tears, again, worldly sorrow, not truly godly sorrow, because godly sorrow leads to what? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. But Saul was not going, he hadn't repented, and he wasn't, he wasn't going to repent. In fact, the only thing that stopped him in his pursuit of David was his own death by the Philistines, which we're going to read about in a couple weeks. But he says to David, notice the, the and I, again, I believe he was sincere, but he says, I have sinned, David, my son, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes. This day, indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And he really did. And later on in that chapter, toward the end, uh, he finally said to David, but you, you, David, be blessed, my son, David. You shall do great things and, and shall also still Prevail, And David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And so now we come to chapter 27. And I'm hoping to get through 27 and 28 tonight. We'll see how that goes. But let's get right into 27. He says, and, um, and, and as we do get into this chapter, we're going to see 
um, that it's not one of David's more faithful moments. We're going to see that David, um, not only being in fear, but also out of fellowship with the Lord, he again takes refuge with the Philistine king, Achish, the king of Gath, the, the, the very place, the very king and the land and the city that Goliath was born and came from. Isn't that kind of ironic? You'd think that going back to the, the city where you killed their giant, that they'd be all over you like a bunch of flies on putrid meat, you know? <laughs> Sorry for any of those of you who have eaten before you've come. But let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 27. Um, notice it says, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek, uh, to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. And you know, when you think of this, because of Saul's inconsistency and because of how volatile he had become, David knew by experience, because again, this is at least the second time where Saul had been repentant and seemingly sorry for the way he had, re- he had been acting. But David knew that this was just a fleeting thing. He knew it wasn't going to last, and Saul wasn't going to stop. And Saul's word meant nothing to David. And that's why he would say in despair, you know, now I know that someday I will perish by the hand of Saul. And again, um, Saul here being, you know, was very uh, sincere, but uh, David was, um, was not fooled by that. And Saul, could just, he could not overcome his jealousy and hatred over David, so he just wouldn't stop. And you notice at the, at the, part of the second part of that, verse 1, he says, There's nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me and stop seeking me, right? Unfortunately, this is another lapse of faith on David's behalf. You know, sometimes when we're running in fear, we, we don't do the most logical things. And again, it's easy for me to criticize or for us to criticize David because we can be armchair warriors and look at somebody else's life. We can look at the life of Peter and say, Lord, I would have never have denied you three times. I might have denied you once, but three times? You know, it's very easy for us to get on our high horse and think that we wouldn't do something. But we weren't in his shoes, so we really don't know. Now, it is true that he is not acting in faith, but rather in fear. And he needed the Lord more at this time than any other time in his life because David was in this place of floundering. He was in this ebb, this low ebb of his life of of faith. But I wonder what I would have done in a similar situation. Would I have trusted the Lord? Would I have trusted in his promises? Because remember, by this time, the promises uh, that Samuel before he died, he, he prophesied, or he, he prayed over David and told him that he would be the next king. I mean, really, that ought to settle it right then. If I'm going to be the next king and God told you to tell me that, then there's really nothing Saul can do to me. And it's very easy in practice, or in theory, to read something like that and then act like nothing ever, ever ha- is ever going to happen. But that's not usually the thing. Right? We read something like that, and there's, a, there's within us a very strong instinct for survival. You know? And so we don't always do the things. And In fact, we often will go by our feelings and emotions. Anybody here led by their feelings and emotions when making decisions? 
I'd be willing to say that most of us, if not all of us, and see our feelings and emotions, as valid as they can be, can also be very dangerous. Just like David's feelings here. I wonder what his life would have been like. I wonder what the pages of Scripture, how they would have been different had David just said, You know what, Saul? I know you're after me, but God has told me that I'm going to be on the king on the throne, and I'm not going to be running around like a, like a gazelle being chased in a lion. In Africa, I'm not gonna. I'm not just gonna be on the run. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, be more faithful. I'm certainly not gonna lie, as we've seen him to be lying, using deceit, lying, um, subterfuge. I mean, just all these things. And that is a question. You know, where where is our trust? Where's our trust today? Many of you have come in tonight with things on your heart, things that have gone on this week that have perhaps broke your heart, perhaps are challenging you. But where do you run? Where do you run? Where do you go to? Are you going to trust the feelings and the emotions? I think God gave us them for a reason, but they ought not to rule over us. Do you know the difference? Be careful. Be very careful. Don't let your emotions... And, you know, when I'm in... You know, where do I run when I'm in fear? Do I run to the things... Uh, that I know that aren't going to remedy my situation? Do I run to the enemy as David did, which I find really outstanding in a crazy kind of way, that he would run to his enemies? I mean, that's just like running into fire. I don't understand it. Do I run to the world's ways, or do I run to the Lord's ways? You recall when the children of Israel were in in Babylon, or before they were um, taken into Babylon, The Lord gave to Jeremiah his indictment against the children of Israel, against the people of Judah, before he would take them into captivity. And one of the things he said in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, he says, My people have committed two evils. They've, number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that have no water. A cistern is supposed to give the promise of holding water. That's what it's there for. In Israel, if you go to Israel with us next March, you'll, we're going to see those cisterns in many places. And they're meant for when the rain falls or whatever, they would collect the water there. And it, it has a purpose. It's, it, it's meant to hold water. But he says, but instead of believing in the Lord, they've forsaken him, and rather they've hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. A broken cistern has no use whatsoever. The water seeps straight through and it becomes useless. The whole idea behind it is gone. You know, perhaps we wouldn't really know what we would do until we were in the same circumstance as David was. Again, easy for us to say. Merrill Unger, one of the great commentators, a great Bible teacher and pastor, he said this. He says, No wonder a dull despair engulfed David and deprived him of faith and hope. How quickly the heart forgets the Lord's benefits and deliverances when the believer begins to look on circumstances and on things in the natural. That's true, isn't it? It's a lot like me. Unfortunately, I hate to admit it. But often I, I size things up in the natural, and I forget that God is supernatural, and he's beyond all those things. I mean, think of what would have happened if Moses and the children of Israel, as they were escaping Egypt, got to the edge of the Dead Sea, and were like, okay, we're done. <laughs> we're done. We can't go any further. 
And what would have happened if God had said to Moses, Moses, stand in front of the sea and hold out the rod that's in your hand. And what would have happened if Moses says, are you kidding me? It's just a stick. They would have all perished. But he didn't. He rose. He, he listened to God. He believed in God. He trusted in God. Are we trusting in God that way? And let me tell you, I think sometimes the, the sweetest moments in our walk with the Lord are when we're up against a wall and there really doesn't seem to be any way out. And he just asks you to do something very simple. And will you do that simple thing? Remember when Naaman had the, had the uh, leprosy and Elijah, I think it was Elijah or Elisha, told him to go down and dip himself. You know, he was uh, the, the commander of the guard in Syria. And he comes to arrest him, and, he, and the Lord strikes him with leprosy. And the prophet tells him, just go down in the Jordan and dip yourself in seven times and you'll be healed. And he didn't even come out and v- greet him. And he was furious. <laughs> and finally he gets it. Finally he goes down, he does it, and then he's completely blown away. But how, what would happen if he hadn't done that? I don't feel like it. My emotions are telling me that that's not really going to happen. So, verse 2, David arose and he went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And this uh, is obviously the same king that David fled to after he initially escaped from Saul, after he went to Ahimelech, if you remember, uh, and the priests in the city of Nob where he received those, um, those loaves of bread for sustenance for he and his men and where he also obtained the sword of Goliath that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel 21. But fear is a slave master, isn't it? And that's really what David is operating in, not really operating in faith, but in fear. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And then he says something really profound in verse 18. He says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love, perfect agape, it casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, for we love him because he first loved us. And there is that, that idea. You know, perfect love casts out fear. Am I, am I, am I in the love of God? Or, or am I outside of the love of God? You know, it's very easy to slip out from underneath God's promises of, uh, uh, under God's care and think that you've got to take matters into your own hands. And then in doing so, you find yourself fearful because you're not really walking. You're not really abiding in him. And then you're out from the protection of God. And that's when we get in trouble. That's when we get in trouble. And this word fear in this is the Greek word phobos, where we get our word phobia. You know, people who have a fear of spiders are arachnophobes, Right? So, it's a phobia. And David was undergoing a great phobia. He was in great fear. And again, where do you go? Where do you go? Remember when you were little, when there was a storm in the house, or a storm outside, and who do you run to? If your dad was home, you'd run into his arms as a little kid. Or maybe run into the arms of your mother. And that's exactly what we can do to the Lord when we are fearful. We can run into his arms. And I like that. Run into his arms often. Don't allow yourself to try and figure it out. Don't allow yourself. 
But notice, in, as, as, we, as we're going to continue to read, there doesn't appear to be any prayer that David is offering up. And again, a very low point in his life. He's not praying either. He's just a, a wounded dog running from hill to hill, lying and, 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 and doing all these things. He still had some integrity, but he was very deceitful, as we're going to see with Achish again. Again, not, a, not the best time for David. One that he'll remember for the rest of his life. One, a, a period of time that he would write that would be the source of many of the words of the Psalms. Because David, more than anybody, knew what it was like to be in fear. And he also understood what it was like to be in the tender care of God. And he, and he knew the protection of God. And he knew that God was with him. And God is with you. Do you know that he's with you? You may not feel like God is with you. You may not even feel worthy that God would even help you. But is it about our feelings? Is it about our emotions? Is it about what we think of ourselves? Sometimes I find that the times when I've really blown it and then God blesses me right on the heels of my great failure, and then he blesses me somehow and it breaks me down. Because then I realize that, Lord, this, this really isn't performance this really isn't about my performance, is it? And he's like, no. I was going to bless you whether you stayed, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's times when we, when we really blow it and, you know, we, 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 sense that, um, we sense that hurt inside. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, when you, even when you've confessed your sin and you've blown it and you're walking around with your head hanging low, God loves to bless and he does it and then it just it, it breaks you like an egg. I love that about the Lord. But there's no prayer here, at least nothing recorded. And I think if there was, the Holy Spirit would have saw fit to record it for us. But David was very uncharacteristic, very uncharacteristic. In fact, um, you know, fear is a funny thing. Uh, There was a study within the last five years, and it had shown that over 90% of the things that we fear do not come to pass. This article, I've read this before, uh, I don't know, about at least a year and a half ago, I think, but um, this article says, 500 years ago, Michael de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Do you hear that? My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. It says, now there's a study that proves it. This study looked into how many of our imagined calamities never materialize. In this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. And lo and behold, it turns out that 85% of what subjects worried about never happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of the subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. This means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. I find that true in my own life. You know, there were things that David was fearful of, but fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. We fear many things, but many of them don't come to pass. Winston Churchill said this, he says, When I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. It's true. Jesus taught us a lot about fear and about worry. Remember, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.